Jonathan mentioned that he was uh, in Victoria last week for Bethany and Tim's wedding, and Robin and I were there as well. It was a wonderful time together. I know that in my absence that Dustin did a great job. I've heard that from several people, but my opinion was the same, that Dustin did a great job. And he's a, uh, we're blessed to have Dustin Lammerman among us for sure, and I'm grateful for him and his work and pray that he continues to uh, be the young person that he is, but he's, you know, he's quickly getting older too. Like, how old are you now? 30. When I was a young person, 30, what did we call them? I can't remember. It was some really derogatory term, but we're not going to use that for you because you're still so young. You're half my age, Dustin. You know that? Half my age and twice as smart as I was when I was 30, for sure. Over here, I have a vase filled with distilled water. How do you know it's distilled? Because I told you so. (laughs) That's the only reason. And then there is a stone. I'm going to get back to the water. I'm going to get back to the stone in a little while. But right now, there's a stone and there's some water. What I want to talk about today is not so much stones and waters as about Jesus and creation. But before we get into Jesus and his role in creation, I want to talk about creation itself. Jesus is the Word of God, and as the Word, Jesus has a prominent role in creation. We'll see that in just a moment, but I want us to put on our philosopher hats for a moment, okay? Put on your philosopher hat for a moment, your thinking cap for a moment, and I want to talk about the origins of the universe and make some quick statements here about the origins of the universe. Like, for example, either the universe is eternal or it had a beginning. Either the universe is eternal or it had a beginning. It seems to me like those are the only possibilities. I don't know that there is another one. Either it was always or at some point it came into existence. And then the question becomes, why? Because I think it's true that something cannot originate from nothing. So if the universe is not eternal, then there was perhaps nothing before that. But if there was nothing before that, how did absolutely nothing become something? So if there was nothing and the universe came to be, something that stands outside the universe would have to be responsible for the universe. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, who is this preacher of ours, this amateur philosopher who thinks he's going to tell us all these things? I can tell you that I was in a class at Regent College many moons ago, and a philosopher who had his degree in philosophy from Oxford was saying these same kinds of things. And I think that he was right. He was talking about whether the universe is eternal or whether it had a beginning and was saying that if it had a beginning, something had to have started from outside. And I think about that, he was right. What stands outside the universe then would have to be supernatural because by definition, the universe is itself that which is natural. 
And I've already said, and I think this is true, that we can't discover what that thing is that's outside the natural all on our own. My sense is that we have to have that interpreted to us. Someone has to come from the outside and say, this is who I am for us to get what is outside the natural. But if the universe had a beginning, something supernatural, it seems to me, looks necessary. And therefore, it's not much of a stretch from there, I would say, to God. So we already, in some sense, this morning, have God on our minds. And then I would say, according to science, that it looks very much like the universe had a beginning. In other words, scientists would say to us, it doesn't look like the universe is eternal. There are some philosophers who would say or conclude that the world or the universe is eternal, and it's really to their benefit that they would say that the universe is eternal, because if the universe is eternal, then for them, they don't have to worry about God. But the scientists would say that it looks as though our universe had some kind of beginning. Well, that starts to point in the direction, I would say, of the divine. And we're going to talk about the creation of the universe in a moment. Let's imagine for the moment that there's no God. Somehow, through natural causes, the universe just exists. Now, I don't believe that, but let's say that that's the case. Maybe it is eternal. Although, again, that seems to go against the evidence. Whatever the case is, let's say that there are gases, there's solid matter, and we could even say that things have advanced and there's water. There's water, there's a rock. Well, this is interesting because that's exactly the kind of situation that Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 describes. A universe that is at that point formless and void, there is darkness and Things are hovering. In fact, the Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the deep, over the surface of the water. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 actually describes a cosmic something where there is matter and where there is water. Those things already exist. There's no life yet, not in the first verse or so. There are no organisms. There are no plants. There are no animals. That comes later. But let's say that at least there in the beginning, we have something like a stone, maybe something even like purified water. I say purified, the reason it has to be distilled is because there are no organisms in it. It's just at this point, the chemical elements that make up water without any organisms. Now, I think it's pretty tricky to go from there to life. But I don't think that's the only tricky thing. It seems to me when we've got a rock and we've got some water, that it's even trickier to go not just to life, but then to talk about purpose or to talk about love or to talk about relationship, to talk about eternal direction and purpose toward unity and beauty. In fact, I want to know how this rock, and I picked on purpose a rock that is not particularly beautiful. This is not the most beautiful stone that I have ever seen. The water is fine, but this is not a particularly beautiful stone. And I think it's really difficult to go from that stone and this water to beauty. Now, you might say, well, this has its own beauty. I get that. And maybe we could say that. Maybe we could say somehow I see some beauty in this stone. But I don't see a whole lot of purpose. I don't look at this stone and think, that is a purposeful stone. I get deep meaning from this rock. Okay? 
I just don't see that. And, I, and it seems to me as though if we've got this formless, void thing going on in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that it, there isn't real purpose and meaningfulness in those gases. I don't yet see love. I don't see beauty. I don't see joy. I don't see compassion. I don't see purpose. I don't see meaningfulness in all of those things. And then all of a sudden, we have this. Exactly. Ah. I'd like to say that's my grandchild. It's not. He's way more beautiful than that. But how is it that we got from the stone to that? How is it that we went from the stone to that? See the joy on her face? How did we go from a stone to something as beautiful as this? Now, you might say, well, there are natural reasons for this to be shaped the way that it is. That's very possible. But the beauty is where? In the eye of the beholder. And there is something about us that detects in this magnificent beauty. When we stand and see something like this, it blows us away. Robin and I, just over the last couple of days, were down uh, at Glacier National Park in northern Montana with her uh, sister who had come out from Wisconsin. And they were there for just a few days, and we had a chance to drive down for a couple of days and see them. And we drove the road to the sun. Spectacular. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. Because it was in the United States, it was almost as good as all these wonderful things we have in Canada. It was, it was gorgeous. It was wonderful. But the beauty of all of that, the sense of beauty is not in the mountain. The sense of the beauty is in me. Where does that come from? And what about this? That is beautiful. But where does that come from? I want to know how it is that we see such beauty in something like this. And then in the rest of creation and in our own lives, we have a sense again of purposefulness, of meaningfulness. We, we ask the question, what is life all about? Because we're searching for and want so badly for there to be meaning. From something like this, there are people who would look at a flower like that and they would burst into tears at the beauty. Or they would, they would be blown away to the point of utter joyfulness. They couldn't even express how wonderful this makes them feel. Some people see this not just in, in a flower, but maybe in a meal that they've created. And people look at a beautiful meal and say, isn't this gorgeous? Why is it that we have those kinds of senses? And then what happens if we take away from that ultimate meaning? What if we take away from this the sense of purposefulness, meaningfulness? What if there is no eternality? What if this is all going absolutely nowhere? 
Well, if the earth and humankind just ends, say, when the sun burns out, or a comet hits the earth, or we destroy ourselves, there will be no memory, no history, no evidence, no future, and no meaning. And I just want to ask, is that how it seems to you? Is this how life seems to you, like it is absolutely meaningless? Is beauty actually nothing at all? Is matter absolutely going nowhere? And I would say that it is going somewhere. I think that love is real. I think it has a source that goes beyond the rocks and the gases and the empty space. Well, the reason I brought all of this up before we get into Jesus himself is because sometimes we are told that it's silly that we believe in a supernatural creator. Contrary to when I was in school, children today in school oftentimes hear that all of that is a little bit silly. And what I want to say is that it's not at all silly to believe in a supernatural creator. It is actually quite reasonable. It certainly is not any more silly to think that there is a supernatural creator than to think that the universe is eternal or that something came from nothing. Which of those seems to you the most reasonable? And I want you to remember this. The scientific evidence points in the direction of the universe having had a beginning. If it began, it did not begin from nothing. Nothing. And we have a world that thinks we're silly, and I would say that we are not. I've told you before that when I was at Southern Methodist University working on my doctorate, that one of the the things that we had to read was written by Anthony Flew. And at the time, back in 2001, when I first started, the first semester, Anthony Flew was maybe the foremost atheist philosopher in the world. I think he was at Cambridge then, teaching. And we had to read flu. That was part of our responsibility. And the reason we read flu is because our professor, who was himself an Oxford-trained philosopher, wanted us to see what the very best atheists had to say. And so we read Anthony Flew. That was in 2001. In 2004, Anthony Flew became a theist. Now, what that means is that he began to believe in God. Now, I'm not going to say that Flew became a Christian. He didn't. He didn't become a Jew. He didn't start believing exactly the way that we believe. But he became a theist. It means that he believed that there was something supernatural. And the reason he reached that conclusion was because he said, I had to be honest with the evidence. In fact, I had to be honest with myself. I had said a long time before, I would always follow the evidence. And in the end, Flew said, I was convinced that the evidence pointed in the direction of something divine. That is fascinating and telling that that's where things went in the life of the foremost atheist in the world at the time. Now, Quickly, I want to talk about Jesus. Because Jesus makes some claims. 
The Bible makes some claims, the biblical writer makes some claims, and Jesus makes some claims himself about who he is and the role that he plays in creation. Even the Old Testament makes some claims about the Word of God and its role in creation. Two weeks ago, I said that Jesus makes claims about what is true and that he himself is ultimately the truth. And when it comes to creation, this is certainly the case. And again, like I said two weeks ago, I can't prove this to you. I can't prove to you that Jesus is the truth. I can't prove to you that things are as I'm saying they are regarding creation. But I think there's very good evidence that points in that direction. I believe these things with all my heart. I trust Jesus in what he had to say. And I think that there is so much that points in the direction of everything that Jesus said being the truth. So here's the truth claim that I think the Bible makes and that I want to just reiterate this morning because this is biblical. And here's the claim. God created the universe through his word, his son, who became flesh and who became Jesus. That's exactly what I think happened. And let me show you some biblical evidence for that truth. First of all, Genesis 1, 1 through 3, you know this, but watch this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. We've talked about that already this morning. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And we've said this before, but how is it that things came to be? They were spoken into existence by God. In other words, God's word brings things into existence. He speaks them into existence. And the Jewish rabbis who were around at the time of Jesus, in their writings, in the Talmud, in the, in the uh, Mishnah, talked frequently about this verse and what it meant in terms of creation. And they kept saying, God's word is responsible for those things that exist. And that's exactly the case. That's exactly what I believe is the case. It's the word of God that brings things into existence. The psalmist says this, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke. And it came to be. His word is what brings things into existence. He commanded and it stood firm. And so the word of God was there bringing things into creation. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 10. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. We know who this is. The Logos of God is Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. An echo. That whole verse is nothing but an echo of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Through Him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And so where is it that this universe comes from? It comes from this one who is the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. And so not only did he bring all things into existence, but he's the one who continues to sustain them so that everything that lives continues to live by him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, for in him all things were created, 
things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And the him that Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 1 is, in fact, Jesus, the Son of God. And then this one last text, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Now, like I've already said, I can't prove this to you. I can't prove to you the things that we believe. But I can say that they cohere. They hold together. They hold together in a very reasonable, truth-filled kind of way that make absolute logical sense. These are not irrational thoughts. A couple of weeks ago when I finished, uh, Mark Lewis came to my office and we were just standing at the door for just a moment. And we were talking about these things. And Mark said, boy, this is interesting. I hadn't thought of it exactly this way before. And I said, Mark, here's the thing. I can tell you this. Everything I said this morning is rational. It all fits together. It's all reasonable. You can't say about these things, well, that's not reasonable. No, there is something very reasonable, something very rational about this. Now, the beauty is that it's not just rational. It's spiritual. That God, who is a rational God, who created things in a rational way so that things do fit together, has given us the ability to see that kind of rationality. In fact, we are rational creatures. We have minds, I think, that echo the mind of God in the sense that we're rational, we're logical, we're reasonable. These things hold together. We want them to hold together. And God has made it exactly that way. And then... Out of all that rationality, all of that logic, everything fitting together, all the beauty of science, God also gives us His beauty, a beauty that transcends it, so that there is eternal purpose, an eternal meaning, an eternal direction, an eternal life, an eternal relationship, unity and cohesiveness, cohesiveness so that all things hold together in Him. And so it doesn't just come from some rock and some water and some nitrogen and oxygen and argon and carbon dioxide. It comes from Him. Dustin said last week that Jesus didn't just come to start a religion. He came to talk to us about the truth and how things really are. And he says that he's the Word of God responsible for creation. And that he's doing something with all of that that we can share in. And man, am I glad. I am so grateful that God, for whatever reason, maybe he just, he didn't want to be alone with the Father, Son, and Spirit. He wanted to share his love. Maybe he wanted a relationship beyond, I don't know all the reasons why God might have created us, but for some reason God has created us in a wonderful way that gives us purpose and life and meaningfulness in him and praise the Lord that he did. And praise the Lord that I'm not just part of some natural system that one of these days is just going to come to an end. Because one of these days, folks, science would say that one of these days the sun is actually going to burn out. Now that might take... A billion years. I have no idea. I don't expect that humankind is just going to hang around for that long. 
We could have a comet that comes and sweeps us out of the universe. I don't know what's going to happen. But it would seem that rather than coming to that kind of end, that God has a better vision, a fuller vision for humankind. And so that's the truth that we proclaim today. That the universe exists because of and by Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Word of God. I don't know if that seems absurd to you. I would say that it's not near as absurd as something coming from nothing. Nor would I say that it's logically inconsistent to think that God loves us and has given us beauty and truth in His Son. The Bible makes very clear these claims about Jesus and about the origin of the universe. Scripture is not just steeped in metaphor when it comes to talking about these things, but Jesus has communicated something real and clear about Himself, about who we are, and about origins. The question is, do we believe what it is that He has said? I think there are great reasons to believe these things. And I do. Let's pray. God, for, for reasons that only you can fully comprehend, you have made our universe. And you've planted us in the midst of it. And it would seem as though you did this in order to reveal yourself and to love. And you, through your word, have created this wonderful universe in which we live. I think because you love us. And we praise you and we thank you that you have revealed yourself, that you sustain all of this by your wonderful hand, that your word brought it into existence. And we proclaim to you today, God, that we believe these things. Help us always to stand here. We pray through Christ. Amen.